0: Welcome to Season 2, Episode 14 of Comic Book Nation, the official podcast of ComicBook.com. Today I'm here, but uh, you'll notice you're not seeing us, you're just hearing us, because this is our first of our coronavirus edition of the podcast, so we're all in separate quarters doing some much-needed social distancing right now, but uh, with me today is my co-host, Matthew Aguilar what up and coming back to join us again is mr wrestling expert himself connor casey
1: not even the coronavirus can kill me
0: don't say that it is so early to start saying that yeah and uh visiting us today coming from the west coast who used to be on the east coast uh old buddy of mine mr matt donato thank you for having me pleasure to be here uh normally we'd have like a whole Skype window, you'd have like your name and hyping you up, but uh today we're kind of on this uh survivalist mode version of the podcast. Matt, uh where do, I mean like where are you? You I feel like you have so many bylines right now, I can't even like pinpoint all of them. <laughs> uh I I always refer to you in the office just so you know, like the refer to you in the office as the guy who was like smart enough to get out of uh we got it covered before like it turned into the modern version of that
2: so i don't want to completely say i'm gone from it i will say i still do a few reviews there because uh yeah i'm not involved in that other stuff let's just say uh i get paid to write my reviews and i'm fine with that because i have to <laughs> and get you those know how dollar it dollar, is bills. Dollar, get bills, those dollar, dollar bills dollar bills Freelance is hard enough but yeah um i mean you can find my stuff anywhere from bloody disgusting to slash film to print in fangoria and anywhere that horror writing especially is written or you can just follow me on the twitter and instagram at donato bomb d-o-n-a-t-o-b-o-m-b
0: and it's your horror expertise is why i thought like today you'd be like one of the great people to kind of talk to it was a running kind of thing between you and perry but like i don't think we could get perry so like here you are i'm glad i was the second choice there no i'm just (laughs) kidding I'm just kidding. Uh, we we failed to get Perry weeks ago. You were my first choice today to talk about something we were going to get into, which was a very big kind of movie topic that I thought you would actually be perfect for. And that's to talk about the uh, new kind of satire horror film, the, the Hunt, which was the one that got pulled from theaters this fall after like Las Vegas and the mass shootings because it became a big political lightning rod. And now that the movie is coming out, I thought it would be kind of a funny time to just kind of look at this movie for what it actually is, as the advertising says, and kind of judge for ourselves. And I thought uh, Matt would be one of the great opinions on this, because you are, like, one of the biggest horror experts I think I've run across. Uh, So, yeah, we wanted to get your thoughts on that. Also, you've seen Bloodshot. You're one of the few who've seen Bloodshot and will be probably in theaters able to go to theaters and see bloodshot this weekend, so we thought we'd get your opinion on all of that too, but we have more to talk about today because uh, we're not just going to be broadcasting because of the co- from you know from a distance because of the coronavirus. we actually got to talk about it because it's kind of sweeping through our industry right now and changing everything about what we thought 2020 was going to be like so we're going to give you guys some of those breakdowns plus Matt, did you get out to see My Spy? I put it in here because I I, I, I actually got to the theater last night. We had a screening of the uh, new Dave Bautista movie My Spy, and I had a double feature with this in The Hunt, and I went to see The Hunt, and I went to get dinner, and then I came back to see My Spy, and my wife started sending me all this coronavirus stuff, and then I went into survival mode and panicked and ran away from the movie theater and, like, <laughs> came home and haven't been out since. And so I never went in to see it because I thought it was too much of a risk, so... You braved it and went to see My Spy, so we're getting Matt thoughts about that. Plus, now that we're in coronavirus mode, we've t- taken to some streaming to keep you guys uh, with some content that can keep you sane while you're quarantined. So we're going to talk about all of that as well. So let's jump right up to the top to our uh, news feed today. I mean, our news flash day, and we got one main topic to talk about, and that is the coronavirus. So. As you're probably hearing this here in the U.S., everybody's the kind of reality is really sinking in about how bad of a pandemic this is going to be. Um, Usually we don't get this heavy on the podcast, but uh, we have to talk about this, like I said, because, I mean, it's just shaking up everything in our industry. Everything we thought we were about to kind of talk with you guys about has now been shifted in a major way. And, I mean, to be honest, the future of... Like big movie releases and even some of the big TV shows we thought we were getting now looks really uncertain. So we're going to go through. uh, Charlie Ridgely already went through and kind of put together a quick guide of all the big movie shifts that have happened because of the coronavirus. So I thought we'd start there and kind of talk about all that. So let's start at the top with kind of uh, one that was just pushed that was kind of almost here and set to arrive, which was A Quiet Place 2, part two. Donato, I know, have you been out to see this yet?
2: No, my screening was Monday, and it just got canceled, so I will not be seeing it until it gets rescheduled.
0: No! I know. So, I mean, this was, like, one of the most highly anticipated horror releases of the year, easily. Uh, John Krasinski's kind of follow-up to A Quiet Place, which kind of was a breakout horror hit with him and his wife, Emily Blunt. Um, So we were going to get this kind of, like we said, sequel. And uh, Brandon Davis has seen it. He's Oh, no, I'm sorry. Chris Killian has seen it for comicbook.com and was kind of excited. So we were kind of excited to maybe bring him in and start giving you guys a sense of what that was all about. But, uh, yeah, now that's been pushed. And have we gotten a date about that, about when it's been rescheduled, or is it just right now they're rescheduling it?
2: It's just rescheduled right now. They have no date out yet, uh, like fast or anything like that. At this point, we have no idea.
0: Wow. So... That wasn't even the first big one. I'm sorry, we kind of skipped. I mean, we already talked about, I think we mentioned on the podcast that uh, the James Bond movie, No Time to Die. Uh, everybody was kind of giving them a little bit of crap online about moving their release date to November. But now it just looks like uh, they were kind of ahead. was it MGM or is that Sony? I forget which one has it right now. Anybody MGM, Sony?
3: I thought it was Sony now, but I I could be wrong about that. But yeah, now they just look like they're ahead of the curve. They're essentially yeah, the NBA. Now they're looking the movie like geniuses,
0: industry. right? Like, yeah. they got a prime kind of Thanksgiving holiday season. You know, staked staked out. We'll be over the election. You know, like if provided, we're all still here. Like this could be the real time when we finally start to feel a sense of like, all right, let's get back to normalcy here. Like, and no time to die could sweep in and be scooping up a lot of that money them dollar, dollar bills y'all because uh yeah they staked it out early they had a plan in place and now they're looking like they were the prepared ones you know it shows you the difference between overseas <laughs> that was like an overseas production and they were like yeah it's not going good over here like, <laughs> we gotta get ahead of this thing like, <laughs> yeah uh but the one people are really crying about right now of course is fast and furious 9 or f9 i mean this one blows my mind like right Didn't we just get done talking about this whole ridiculous, overblown kind of trailer premiere for this movie? Yeah. This whole event, like, concert thing. So we did all that just to get the trailer. And not only are they pushing this movie, but, I mean, they just took it off the slate for this entire year. Fast and Furious 9 isn't coming out until uh, 2021. April 2nd, so almost like... A full year from now, we have to wait.
2: I was going to say that that's the right move,
0: though, I think,
2: especially because if you look at the numbers between domestic and international last year, or sorry, in 2017 on Fate of the Furious, domestic was only 226, and international was over a billion. So, I mean, if they're thinking about how the coronavirus is going to actually impact not only domestic box office, but also international box office, that was 100% the right move.
3: Yeah, agreed. I think that was really kind of like we just talked about with Bond. I think they made a very strategic move that, yeah, at first was like, I saw 2021, I one. I'm like, I must have read that wrong. Like, I I looked at that story and was like, that can't be. But it makes complete sense with just how much of an international juggernaut that is.
0: So you think... That we will still we like we won't have things sorted out even internationally by like late in fall this year.
2: It's not whether we will. I mean, this is just the most forward planning you can think of. I think they still want to capitalize on some of that close to summer release and whatnot, but still just be like, so all right, we're they're definitely just going out of the for woods. this window no matter yeah. what. Like, yep, I, either I, I this
0: year that. or it has to be next year. I mean, yeah, uh, because I mean, I can see it. I mean, yeah, I mean, I see the logic in it. I just feel like whenever this happens with, like, a movie, it it can be kind of a death knell because people kind of forget about it. The hype kind of dies down. And, I mean, it's Fast and Furious. You could say, like, they're back and they're going to do something and hype it over all over again. But they just put on a damn concert. So, like, I don't know what they're going to do to get my interest back up in this.
3: I would typically agree with you if it were a lesser franchise. But, honestly, I think with – This being the last two films in this giant Vin Diesel saga, I don't really... I I think it's almost Teflon. Like, unless they just do something completely just off the wall, like, you know, something happens behind the scenes of a movie where it's like, oh my god, like, this whole crew is, like, racist or something. You know what I mean? Like, something like that's like a PR nightmare and not something related to, like, public health. I don't think that will have any effect. Like, I still think as long... And it's also... I think it's smart for them because this is sort of unprecedented with the way Hollywood is reacting to this. So, like, it would be better for them to stake out a further date instead of having to scramble in another four months or in another five months, depending on how things have shaken out. I think it's just smart for them to just get clear of it all because every studio is going to be fighting for all those late year release dates if things smooth out. And it's going to be so crammed. stuff and i think they are just like screw it let's just bite the bullet this is going to make a lot of money anyway maybe it doesn't make as much as it was going to before but it'll still make enough to like justify it
2: yeah i was also going to say really quickly i mean they have the time to plan it out i mean where all these other films like a quiet place that was coming out next week i mean that just shows the volatility of what's going on right now and how kind of nothing is safe in the mainstream market because now a quiet place doesn't have a date They don't have anything else really going for it besides word of mouth. And there's nothing stopping it from just like popping up three months down the road and being like, okay, A Quiet Place 2 is going to come out next week or something like that. So I, I think that the Fast and Furious franchise is doing it right in a way because they're giving themselves enough time and enough marketing sense to be like, all right, how do we now spin this and keep, you know, basically the hype
0: going? What about some of these smaller releases? Uh, Peter Rabbit too, Lovebirds, and all the other delays we're gonna probably hear for these kind of smaller films that we're about to hit in the kind of spring season, and probably are not gonna not I mean, gonna do. To be
3: fair, I didn't know when Peter Rabbit was coming out anyway. <laughs> like I didn't know the original release date, so I don't think this affects it.
2: It's just <laughs> delayed a few in weeks the- in the summer. But, I mean,
0: I think what kind of is we're trying to still add, like, a safety net of normalcy or kind of control and planning to all this. And, like, I don't know. There's so much that I think is just such a gamble, even on, like, the Fast and Furious, which kind of leads to one of the questions we've been circling around and are probably going to get into on the site, which is, like, what happens? Is this going to be transformative to the entire industry and our entire sensibilities of this industry? You know, if we start going, like... Months and months without movie theaters because the thought like going to movie theaters, which already freaks enough people out today, now is like a disease center. What does that do to the business and how soon do you think it is that in which film or studio do you think it would be to see one of these major releases just get pushed onto streaming for somebody's streaming service? I'm going to go
2: with The New Mutants as going to streaming because that has been delayed so many times at this point. And like, I mean, it's the fate. For that film. I, like, it just doesn't need a theatrical, number one, I don't think. It's been pushed so many times, nobody really cares about it anymore. And number two, it's just like it's kind of poetic at this point. Like, not in a good way, but it's just the sense that no one ever thought this movie was gonna come out, and now once again, you're sitting here going, Can Except they replace in theaters? That's going I think that's going Disney Plus.
0: Ooh, Charlie Ridgley, he know, might so, have he might have defeat snatched from the jaws of I was gonna on say, so one. does this count to like
3: go against because like he was right like it was going to theaters but does this still count as he was wrong if it then goes to streaming because of this the
0: only game that matters is end game so whatever <laughs> the end game turns out to be that's what charlie Ridgley's contribution was
3: oh man yeah i i agree i think uh I mean, as far as, like, who, you know, will feel the pain most, I mean, obviously, like, certain companies, you know, Disney and and some of those just universal to a degree. Like, I don't think – I think they're going to prepare and hunker down. They're going to feel – I feel like this could very well be what the – in a a much lesser sense and for a different degree, uh, what the toy industry felt when Toys R Us went bankrupt. You saw so many – uh, companies like Mattel and Hasbro like have essentially like a makeup year. Like they they spent a year trying to dig out of low low stock prices and debt and all this product that they they couldn't move because like Toys R Us was gone and like you you still see it like Hasbro's still dealing with that even now and it's been so long but like they're still like finally just out of hey we cleaned up all the mess and now. We're moving on to, like, normal production. I, I feel like you could see that with certain studios. And, you know, next year, like, this time next year, maybe being, like, the first time when it's like, oh, hey, the studios have finally somewhat return to normalcy i feel like it depends on how long the drought is i mean i don't know if we'll ever get to a point where you know uh it would come to like the studios to like help out theaters bail out theaters to a degree because you know they're not getting any movies and that industry is like reliant on that um i don't know if we'll ever get to that but i but i kind of apply the same thing of like i feel like this will dig some holes for these companies to kind of have to dig out of for a while
2: well, here's well, a really quick question then. Um, I mean, does a theater chain like Regal or AMC have the actual funds to withstand that kind of impact? Because in my mind, it, people already aren't going to the movies as is. And that was when there was no pandemic going on. Yeah. Then I think about how the fact that AMC theaters in New York City couldn't even work on a lice problem, let alone a coronavirus problem. Yeah. And I don't think people are just going to go to the movies, period. It doesn't matter what's playing. You yeah. think about a movie theater and you think about how kind of we've fallen on our hygiene there and we've fallen on how the upkeep of a theater and that's going to keep a lot of people away. And if that's long enough with the state of the industry already for these theaters, I I don't know if certain companies have the money to sustain that and survive that.
0: Well, that's I mean, we're getting to the larger, scarier questions of societal change that are coming upon us because um yeah, I mean, this all feeds back into the whole question on, like, do are we freezing society right now? I mean, this goes for a lot of things, right? It's not just movie theaters. I mean, it's the entire work industry for everybody on every level. It's like, are theaters going to still be required? I mean, are we going to still have the same financial constraints? Are, I mean, because there's already talk. Do we need to, like, freeze mortgages and rent and stuff like that? Because of you know what we need to do for this quarantine right now because if people can't work or be in the places where they need to work and all that how are you still billing them and requiring them to pay because that's just you know creating a massive debt and that could break the economy so I mean there is a chance things just get frozen like they just literally press pause on a regal theaters and shut clean it up shut it down and like they don't owe anybody any money on like real estate or anything. For a little bit until this all gets settled out and, you know, we, we start back up again. So, you know, there is that possibility because it is insane if we start having an economy where we expect Regal to be making money and we're just, I mean, I know we're American, but if we start like make money, nobody's coming and we don't want them to come. It's a public safety hazard, but keep paying your bills. Like, exactly. That's insane. So, I I mean, there is a chance they'll just kind of will have to freeze the entertainment industry, which but then brings us back to the other question, which is when do studios begin to look in the mirror and say, well, the streaming, the streaming platform is out there. And movies like New Mutants seem like or Lovebirds, like if I'm the makers of, of the studio behind Lovebirds, I'm thinking, how can I like maybe get that into propping up one of my streaming services or something like that or making a splash there? Like, to be honest, Um yeah, and how, and how do you begin to kind of recoup those losses right now? And I think that is going to become an increasing piece of conversation point. But it also brings up the other side of this because this isn't just movies we're seeing affected right now, is it? TV is also being affected. And so it's also the question of how long we have on the entertainment front with television. You know, at first it was like we were hearing, and we'll get into the specifics, but like in places that shoot in exotic locations or having troubles. Because overseas, the virus was already much more prevalent. But now we're hearing, like, you know, just as of coming in today, like, Fox on, like, sound stages has to shut down production on a television show because a crew member came in and tested positive for the virus, so they shut down the whole production. Already we've seen, just to kind of bring it back to things on the TV front, or in Connor's case, the pay-per-view front. Connor, you're coming up here. We've seen the Falcon and Marvel's Falcon and the Winter Soldier has had to halt production because of... You know, the virus, it was over in Prague. Loki's been out shooting. I can't, I see that happening for too much longer before they would, if, you know, have to shut down production. Amazon's like season two of Carnival Row with Orlando Bloom. And there's, these are just a few examples, right? So yeah, I would say
3: Witcher's in that too, because
0: they're currently yeah, Witcher, shooting over in England. Yeah. Yep. They're definitely going to be yeah. in on that. Ryan Murphy's new
2: show, The Prom, same thing. Like, there's a whole list, actually, on Slash Film that they've been keeping a running list of TV shows, movies, and all that. And there's actually a lot more television than you think that's getting actually put on hold and canceled.
0: Yeah, and so it's just like... Man, it is not a good sign for for our industry right now. Because, like, yeah, we might even lose... So now we have to question, like, will Falcon and Winter Soldier be delayed? I mean, that was scheduled to be the big thing for Disney Plus in... You know, what was it, late summer, uh, yeah. August, August 20th, or was it July 20th? I forget which. But it was late summer, I know, and then The Mandalorian, and then I think WandaVision's okay because that's already wrapped, but Loki was supposed to be early 2021, so yeah, we're looking at some significant delays, and again, that brings back, those movies begin to look much more attractive than if <laughs> if you're starting to just bargain with what you have, you know what I mean? Yeah, Absolutely. And also, you know, if you're someone like Quibi's Netflix time to Hulu, shine. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not promoting
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah, like if you're Netflix or, or Hulu and some of these others, it yeah, it is very much a you know buyer's market, so to speak. Um, so if you are looking to get a project like that for your service, now is the time to kind of offer that up and have a giant audience that is not going to be there in a the theatrical sense for a while.
2: Yeah, Kofi, that Lovebirds thing was a really good point because The Lovebirds is almost one of those movies that people look at the marketing for and go, "Oh, I can wait for streaming for that." And that's not to say anything is wrong with the film itself, but that kind of romantic comedy in a way, it, it just kind of plays better on streaming. So, I think we now live in an era where Peter Rabbit 2 and The Lovebirds might actually benefit from going to streaming.
0: Yeah, and it's uh Paramount Pictures, which would be uh Oh, that's us. <laughs> 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 I was like, oh I man, love the that's light bulb. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, who owns Paramount? I'm like, oh, oh yes, the wonderful conglomerate of Viacom CBS does. So CBS All Access needs a big movie release. Hey, there you go. Or debut it on CBS. I don't know. We got to figure something out. Put it on like on demand. Who knows? But uh yeah, anybody else have any thoughts about all this? I mean, oh Connor. Connor, oh, yeah, I'm say... you up. I was about to skip Connor entirely. I feel like this is the second time that's happened, Connor. You, you like me skipping
1: long. me, Kofi. I don't know what that's about.
0: Uh, don't hurt me when we're in the office, if ever, but you may never have the chance to get at me again. So I'm going to bet on that right now. <laughs> oh,
2: jeez.
0: Um, but, Connor, right. take us through because you are going through your own personal uh, media crisis right now because uh, your Comic Con. Wrestlemania was coming up, and what's the current status on that front?
1: So let me, let me walk you guys through what's been happening. Um, last week, WWE put out a statement saying that they had no intention of canceling Wrestlemania. It's supposed to be in Tampa at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers Stadium on April 5th. Uh, since then, pretty much every major sporting event has canceled or postponed. The NBA suspended the season, and they'll be pushed out opening day by two weeks. While we're recording this, March Madness just got canceled. Everyone was kind of looking at them going, yeah, you're next. You, this this has to happen. Uh, but then the uh, the Tampa City officials meet together on Thursday, and they meet with Vince McMahon and other WWE officials, and they decide, we're not going to cancel just yet. We're going to wait a week. And we're all just kind of sitting here going, well, what's the holdup? Because you're trying to get 80,000 people into a football arena. On top of that, you have events at a basketball arena for a Hall of Fame induction for an, uh, an, an NXT TakeOver special. You've got at least a dozen independent wrestling events going on alongside WrestleMania because, hey, if all these wrestling fans are going to go to one city, we might as well put on a show. Uh, you've got two massive fan conventions in WrestleCon and WrestleMania Access. We still don't know the status of either of those. Basically, everything, everyone is waiting for the first domino to drop, and that being whether or not WrestleMania happens. It's in a holding pattern because Vince McMahon might as well have the show must go on tattooed on his neck. He's not going to be the one to cancel this. That That's just how it is. Uh, Which is someone so else by the with way. more authority has to step in and say, No, we're going to take the responsible choice here and go, No, you're not having the show. We either have to postpone, cancel, or reschedule.
2: So is it true that I heard that he actually might try to do it without an audience
1: see here's the problem with that it it, that is an option and ask any wrestler about this the crowd plays such a role in pro wrestling that to not have a crowd would be so jarring the show would be unwatchable you know when you have people look back to famous matches like the rock versus mankind at halftime heat it was an empty arena match. Well, the fact that it was an empty arena was the gimmick. But when you have no crowd there to react to moves, to comebacks, to when the heel does something to cheat, all of the energy is sucked out of the room. Watch watch any match where the crowd has no reaction. No matter what's happening in the ring, if nobody cares, there's no emotion behind it. Agreed. And, oh, and I just got the confirmation, SmackDown has been moved to the Performance Center uh, and it will not take place in Detroit this Friday. That's fun. Um, so So, connor do you think
3: it's okay so my my thing is and and i know people right now are essentially like even uh baseball was slow to react and honestly the nfl has also been the one to like lollygag and not do anything and c double a as well where they essentially are waiting for someone to put the nail so to speak you know and just say like well this is canceled you don't have a choice which is in itself irresponsible to put your I I understand why because it's to essentially make as much money as possible until the very last moment and not cancel and I understand you have people to employ and you have to do all these things like Wrestlemania is a giant thing they make they make a ton of money that isn't just like going into Vince's coffers I know that's to fund the enterprise and people get paid on that so I'm not saying it's there's not a a reasonable bottom line to think about but at the same time at this point it's irresponsible right it's irresponsible to not cancel right
1: but the, matt the thing with mania is it's not the breadwinner for the company anymore the the breadwinner is the saudi arabia shows we all hate exactly the, that makes so much more money than mania what mania does it is this fantastic pr event for wwe because they can turn around and go look at all the countries that flew in to, tr- to see this major event. Look at all the revenue we generated for the local economy for whatever city we came to. That's where the value of WrestleMania is now for them.
3: Well, and that makes total sense, but that's not here right now. Their their PR looks terrible if they go ahead yeah. and go through with it and then people get sick at an event that they well, and, Like and The, the, the PR, PR won't
1: look good because with, with the travel restrictions we've got now, all those people from Europe can't fly over here. Even if they have tickets.
3: So, like, the benefit is gone for them right now. I mean, I feel like they look terrible if they go through with it. And the fact that Tampa Tampa itself, like, is kind of wavering and not really having a backbone here to say, like, you're not having it and to leave it in Vince's court is also a little questionable.
1: Uh, I I think they're crossing their fingers that within a week, everyone goes, oh, this was all totally overblown. And now we as a city can reap the benefits of the show still happening. The fact is the longer they wait, the worse it looks, not only for WWE, but for what they have to do going forward. Because the longer you wait to cancel WrestleMania, that affects all the TV you have going up until then. And then you have even less time to go, oh, we, we have a replacement. We've, we've figured out a different solution. We got a, new, we got a new arena approved in a different city. We can still make this happen. The longer you wait for that, the harder that gets to be possible. And it also screws over everybody that's already flying there because they have to keep waiting and holding on and saying, wait, is Mania happening? Well, now it's not. And, you know, if you had given us more heads up, we would have had better opportunity to figure something else out.
3: Exactly. Like, this is the epitome of what Universal did not do with F9. Like, this is the exact opposite. And this is why you don't do that. So... I feel like I feel like it's a matter of time before they postpone it, uh, but I feel like it should have been done already. It should have done this. Yeah,
2: I was going to say those travel this, yeah. costs are a big thing because I should be at South by Southwest right now, honestly. And uh, again, because they took so long to actually postpone it, and it wasn't even South by; it was the city of Austin itself. So you know that wasn't even their decision. But by taking that long, a lot of my friends, I got lucky because I booked Southwest Airlines, and they're very nice and very generous about changing flights and whatnot. And I was crashing on couches, so there was no accommodations for me. But Uh, friends that had Airbnbs, friends that had American Airlines and whatnot, I mean, they're out money. It was so close to the date that they couldn't get full refunds on their Airbnbs. Some didn't get any money back. So, yeah, like, that's a huge thing. If you're screwing your fans over who are paying to be there and who are paying to keep your company afloat, I mean, they're going to remember that.
1: Yep. Yep. And and last thing on this, because I know we got other topics. The the tricky part about this is that there really is no easy solution. You can try to have it in a smaller venue. I know they're putting SmackDown at the PC. You can't get away with doing WrestleMania inside of a small gym. No. Um, You can't just cross your fingers and hope that an arena in a state where they just don't care gives you the green light. You could, and I know people are going to hate this, you could turn to Saudi Arabia and go, hey, can we use that? Stadium in Riyadh again, and at least then, what? at least then the show would have the pomp and circumstance of WrestleMania. Nobody would be happy about it, but at least they would look good in there. I eyes. I don't think they look okay. good if they do that. By the way,
3: I don't I don't think they look good at all unless they literally come out today or tomorrow and say, like not.
1: like I said, I'm not a fan of the option. <laughs> I'm just saying I know that's probably on the table. Yeah, and also sure once you do get TV start going frequently do you just scrap Like, let's say they push this to June. Cause there actually isn't a June pay-per-view right now that they're, they they do not have one on the schedule. If they push it to then, what do you do with the matches you've already booked? Do you just have them on a, a special episode of Raw and Smackdown? Do you wait till the next pay-per-view or do you just kind of grit your teeth and pray to God people still care about Goldberg come June?
3: No, I think you, I think the, I mean, look, I get it that there's no easy win here and they all kind of suck these solutions, but At that point, you can't just do filler for months. So you have the matches that you are going to have in whatever way you want to do them, whether you spread them out over a week or two on on Raw and SmackDown and make just big episodes, whether you do a special of some sort, you have them. Like you, You go ahead and have them and you do your best to build towards another thing that you can do for whenever WrestleMania got, but I feel like WrestleMania is so in flux right now because of the real world stuff that's happening that you just go ahead and like, you can't keep doing that thing of like, well, we're going to have it next week. Oh, well, we could have it in a month. Like you you can't plan that way. You just have to keep going with whatever stories you were going to build and keep going as if you had WrestleMania. And then whenever that time comes, you do what WWE does best. You wing it and you do stuff that, you know, you throw stuff against the wall and some of it will work and some of it won't. And this will go down as a WrestleMania to remember for a variety of reasons. But you can't just do months of filler.
1: And to put some negativity into, not not negativity, some positivity into this, um, I'm actually very interested to see what WWE comes up with because... As history has shown, they're at their absolute best when their backs are against the wall and they have to get creative about something. When they're coasting, they are at their absolute worst. But when when outside forces force their hand, they can come up with some really interesting stuff. And I think they can pull it off here as long as they don't go with that Saudi Arabia option. Agreed. Agreed.
0: All right. Well, that will do it for our discussion of coronavirus. When we get back... From the break, we are going to get into some good old-fashioned escapist entertainment, or try to. But the hunt won't allow us much of that because we'll be right back into politics. So stay tuned for that if you're still around. All right, so let's talk this week's reviews. Uh, everybody's got a little something today, which makes me feel good. Makes me feel good. Matt's got a little something to talk about. Matt, oh, we have too many <laughs> Matt D, I'm, Matt I'm, A, both have something I'm disrupting. to talk about. i apologize. <laughs> and, no, it's all right, man. We love having you. Uh, but, uh, me and Matt D will start with The Hunt. So, if you were living under a rock last fall, The Hunt was this big kind of horror satire movie that was released and uh, basically it kind of took the political fervor of our time and spun it into this kind of very over-the-top and absurdist story about if political ideologies actually like kind of boiled over off the internet into actual kind of violence and things like that, what would it be like? And it is basically your, you know, some basic ice tea surviving the game type scenario or man is the most dangerous animal type deal or the most dangerous game, and uh, what happens is these kind of... We're going to talk in full spoilers for this, because I don't think anybody's going out to the theater to see this this weekend anyway, and this will probably be something you might be more interested to kind of seek out when it's on streaming pretty soon. So, uh, yeah, we're going to talk full spoilers for The Hunt. Just be warned, full spoilers for The Hunt. But we'll ease it to them. But the uh, basic premise is that, yeah, these people wake up, they've been kidnapped, and they're all kind of quote-unquote like deplorables, from, um, you know, or what somebody's off-the-internet version of a deplorable would be, rather, and they're being hunted by these very wealthy, kind of liberal elite caricatures. Uh, One of my favorites is played by Dennis Reynolds from uh, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, Glenn Howerton, and Hilary Swank is is another one of them, and um, they basically take into a kind of preserve where they're hunted for sport like i said naturally this kicked off the kind of over the top very obvious political allegories in the movie really caught people at a bad time after things like the las vegas shooting and it got spun up into this media spun kind of weird in in not from one side or the other all sides like basically saying oh this movie is everything that's wrong with politics oh it's glorifying political violence and all this stuff and I think when you sit down and actually watch the hunt, I think I came out and the PR person said, so what did you think? And I was like, well, when you get to all the political stuff, it's just big, loud and and very dumb, like just very stupid. And and, in a winking kind of way, not in a trying to be serious and and looking stupid, but like winkingly over the top kind of way. Everything is just a stereotype kind of blown out to like times 10 and none of it's very real and, and It has this very heightened sense of reality, and there's a lot of comedic jokes built into it. And what really holds it together is Glow star uh, Betty Gilpin, who plays the kind of main character who is kind of in the midst of the hunt and is actually able... She's kind of the Ellen Ripley of this whole thing, who is able to turn the tables and is actually a pretty adept killer herself. And this movie does a good job through her. First of all, she plays like this very... Interesting character and gives a great performance in this. And I think it's because it's her character holds this whole thing together because she's like the one real sketch of like a real person in this. And she kind of anchors all the absurdity down by playing somebody who, as you go through the movie, you get brushstrokes of who she is as a character and like what she kind of represents, but she's like a real person. She's not like a person who's on the internet all day kind of living in these political fantasies. She's a real person who's been through real stuff and seen the kind of world of America outside of politics and, and kind of representing that, you know, the real person going through real stuff in the midst of all this kind of political diatribe. And she makes the movie kind of work very well, at least for me. Um, So the overarching concept is kind of big, loud, and stupid, like I said, but, There is this great character piece from Betty Gilpin in the middle of it that kind of really pulls it all together and through. And I just thought it was a kind of harm, like in the end, it's just kind of a harmless, entertaining kind of human hunt horror. I don't know if that's a (laughs) subgenre, but I just kind of coined it off the cuff here. Uh, But uh, yeah, so the hunt was, and it's worth, in like the advertising, I think the re-advertising they did for it is spot on. It's like, check it out, see for yourself, see if it was worth all the hubbub and all that But that's just my take. Uh, Donato, what'd you
2: think? I was totally down with this movie. And for a lot of the reasons that you have just, you know, kind of went through. And my biggest takeaways were, number one, it was the film that I wanted it to be. And it was the film that I knew no one else would see it as just from a trailer. It's a midnight movie. It's not meant to be this like soapbox, preachy, one side biased political takedown. It goes against both political sides pretty evenly if you even want to say there's any satire. But more importantly, it just becomes a movie about how stupid we all look online and how stupid that seems to the normal person. Like, you know, a normal person as well, going back to the Betty Gilpin character. So I really like that aspect of it. I like how it doesn't get too lost in its own... Well, all right. It doesn't get lost in its own message because number one, there is no message. It's just a lot of violence. It's a lot of over the top hunter-killer kind of stuff. You know, this is in the same camp as something like uh Stone Cold's The Condemned, where it's or, or de- like Death Race even almost, where
0: Dude, it was totally like the condemned, yeah. and it took me a while because I kept thinking the condemned was John, like, John was, Cena or uh, Goldberg. Oh. <laughs> And John Cena or Goldberg, and I was like looking through their filmographies. I was like, "What is this oh, no. movie?" Which shows you how forgettable a lot of these are. That I finally found Stone Cold, and I was like, "Oh, it was The Condemned." Yeah, and I was like, "This was exactly like." Yeah, and Condemned.
2: I mean, it's satire in the way. It... With a female Stone Cold, yeah. <laughs> literally, and Bilt- Betty Yopin, Yopin, Yopin is like f- so yeah. effing good. She yeah. is a killer in this movie, and not only because she's like the real girl, but she's just a Stone Cold badass the entire way through. She's not one of these female heroes who has. This blubbering, you know, like emotional scene. And that's how they define her and whatnot. Betty Gilman plays Tough Nut the entire way. She doesn't waver at all. And what she's doing with her mouth in certain scenes, she doesn't have to speak dialogue. She just has this stunned, stupefied face, yet still pushes on and doesn't give a crap. And it's still going there, like taking down all the rich elitists. It, it, you know, hindsight's such a beautiful thing because you watch The Hunt And then you think back to even the president tweeting about how dangerous this movie is. And you look at it now and you're like, that was dangerous? Like, excuse me? Like, no, it's absolutely insane, the protest to even think about now.
0: Yeah, and I think that's one thing that I came out and said also when I was kind of giving my first reactions to the PR people. It was like, I think, and I might even write about this as like, in some ways more so than anything else that's happened in like modern politics over the last four years this movie, and if you've actually followed, like, what happens with this movie, and then you go and see it, like, it, you come out, and it instantly kind of cuts through, ironically, all this violence and over-the-top stuff cuts through, and how silly and stupid it is, cuts through the noise, and makes you realize, like, how much time we are really wasting arguing about all this stuff online, and how stupid half, like, just so many of these arguments really are. Because, like Matt said, you see the movie, you see the hunt, and you're like, really? This is what the president took time to tweet about as dangerous? Obviously, nobody saw this. Just like, and they did. Like I said, the marketing for this re-release has been brilliant because obviously nobody saw this movie. Just talked like it became a lightning rod for, and that we projected so much crazy stuff onto. And when you actually see it, it, it it's you're just like, ugh. Like there's there is no here, there is no there. There. I mean, you know I almost I mean?
2: question if, just not to cut you off, but like I almost question talking about the marketing if Blumhouse didn't see that tweet as a huge opportunity and kind of sat there and went, holy crap, if we pull this right now and we say it's because of all this backlash and we put it out later saying, Hey, we're not afraid to actually show this movie. That's, that's inherent marketing value right there. I would be so curious to hear if that was the studios, like actually universal and actually getting orders down to take that film away for a little bit. Or if that was a marketing ploy to be like, we have a golden opportunity right
3: here.
0: Yeah, you never know. I mean, Hollywood is Hollywood, so you really can never be too cynical, but I mean, I would almost believe that based on how things are going now because <laughs> if, if that's it would be ironic if that level of cynicism uh, cynicism resulted in a Mar- uh, Friday the 13th release in the midst of a global pandemic, and nobody ends up know, going to see the heart. Right? Anyway. Yeah. Oh my god!
2: Like this is just, <laughs> just everything playing against them, one over another.
0: Yeah, but if they, I mean, if they, if it was pulled because of the Las Vegas stuff, I feel yeah, bad for them. But if they yeah. were like, oh, this is a marketing ploy, then I'm like, there you go, that's karma. But like. Either way, I think there is going to be a life for this movie, like, as a cult watch for people to finally, once it's remembered what it was all about and we're not scared of a mass pandemic and all that and everything slows down and people check this out. And like I said, I, the most person I feel, you know, the worst for is Betty Gilpin because this should be like a star-making turn for her because she is one of the most badass horror characters we've had since, uh you know, Truth or Dare uh, with Samara Weaving. So it has been a short wait, but... Technically, she was supposed to come... Uh, no, she was still supposed to come after Ready or, or Truth or Dare. But, um... Or not Truth or Dare. Uh, Ready or Ready Not, or yeah. not. <laughs> Truth or Dare yeah. also, Truth yeah. or Dare is Not, not,
3: Not a good
2: movie. Very <laughs> That's terrible. Blumhouse, though. Not, not a is good Blumhouse.
0: Movie. Yeah. Ready or Not, very good movie. Smart and weaving. Um... But, uh, yeah, this should be a really good star-making turn. And like you said, her performance, I, lo- I just loved her as a character. I think she was my favorite kind of female character I've seen in, like, a big kind of genre flick since um, – uh, what's her name in uh, Dr. Sleep? Rebecca Ferguson. or um Rebecca yeah. Ferguson in Bo- in, in, uh, as Rose the Hat in Dr. Sleep. Um, because, yeah, just the things she does with her mouth. And we're going to get into more spoiler territory here. Uh, yeah her character is great because as you go through the film she's like the one person who doesn't run her mouth at all like she's just quiet and like keeps to herself and is generally kind of like respectful of everybody to a point in but takes no crap at the same time she's an american basically like it she just does stuff with her expressions in her mouth when people are talking that looks like she could be anywhere from like slightly on the spectrum to like as you find out she's like a combat vet from afghanistan that it could be like ptsd or some kind of mental tick to and it's not really like used as a crutch or anything she just kind of is the person she is she's had the kind of hard crappy life she's had and she just kind of is a matter of fact about the whole thing in this badass kind of way and there are and the movie does a great satire job about you know especially like female action heroes like there's a scene where she kills one of the like you know head elitists of the the, uh you know that are hunting them and the guy that's with her is like you can't shoot her like because she's wounded and you know she's about to finish her off she's like you know she's a woman and then she's like what well it's even better no (laughs) she she goes do i I have
2: your consent and and the girl looks at her she's like well i guess that would be and she just shoots her (laughs) yeah well i mean that's kind of the brilliance of this film though and kind of what i was saying to the even-handedness where betty gilpin's character hates people on the left and the right quite equally And again, there's no political message to really take away from here, but even just to have her be so fed up with hearing some of her, I guess, other contestants or whatever you want to call it in this hunt, these other people locked up that are being hunted, she hates hearing them just as much as she does going into that crow's nest where all the quote-unquote leftist elites are perched up ready to shoot them, and hearing their complaints about, you know, the being consensual and then having to ask a woman to shoot her because, oh, well, I, I can I just shoot a man and shoot a woman like that? Like, the way they play these things are so over the top, and they make sure, you know, this isn't serious. This isn't meant to be taken serious.
0: Yeah, um and there are some great shades that they threw in there that I really thought helped, like, there's a... Military consultant that's helping these people hunt them because they're totally inept on their own. They're former uh, business people. One of the big twists in the movie, I'm not going to give away, is that they're basically this former business of people who are kind of really corporate people who are now trying to get revenge on, you know, Trump America. And they have this military advisor who turns out to be like from the national guard <laughs> or something like that. And she's like, Oh, and she's comparing and like, no, I've really been in, in, in it. You know, I've been in Afghanistan. She says something like, thank you for your service before she shoots him. It's like, so mean-spirited and it's, and it's so funny though. Yeah, but it is, it, but it see shades that kind of, when you, I would really like do a whole focus piece on her because of like who they're saying, who they're representing in America. Cause she is a former, she's like a real combat vet. That's like, that's the difference is she's like a real combat vet who's obviously they let you know is very just blue collar kind of working class doesn't have a lot of money doesn't. I mean, she has a good family. There's the whole thing about her origin story and whether they got her mom and that whole thing right. But you could tell like she's from a kind of a crap town. She was a combat vet. She did her tours. She came home. She didn't really, you know, there wasn't a bunch of rewards and riches and a great life waiting for her. So she's been through a lot of crap, and she's just going through another day of crap. And she's not online, like you said. She's not a person who's online or on Twitter or even has a hint of being on a cell phone or having a podcast, not to crap on us, but or doing all that. But um, she's just a real person with like real problems, everyday problems, and she is like the everyday American just struggling to get by. And they do great shades of comparing that to these various kind of monoliths that have popped up in our culture, whether it is the liberal monolith or the cult or the conservative monolith or the corporate monolith or you know the immigrant immigrants or the or you know all this other stuff that they kind of fit in or the military kind of pride complex you know monolith all that and they kind of find clever ways to just take down all of those monoliths through these characters and yeah the hunt it's really good i mean in the end i guess we'll move on but i'll just say That's just a showcase of how awesome Betty Gilpin is. If you don't watch Globe, just check out this movie.
2: Yeah, and also my closing thoughts, just if you're like a Midnighter fan too, I mean, the gore work in this is pretty gnarly. It's pretty interesting to see how it just immediately (laughs) starts with everyone. uh, That first act is so good. And the first act is so good too, and not to like super spoil anything, but it does such a good job of not introducing Betty Gilpin as the primary uh, actress in the film because you start on Emma Roberts and all of a sudden everyone gets together and all these people being hunted and you get the camera focusing on Emma Roberts and then I'll just say that it goes through a few more characters before it gets to Betty, Gil- Betty Gilpin and I love that. I love the fact that it's unafraid to say, "Oh hey, this might be a major character." Oh, JK, she's now splattered on the ground. "Hey, let's check out this guy." Oh wait, nowhere. And like you don't meet Betty until like 15 in really, which is I something yeah. I was sucker for. It's like for.
0: about the start of act 2 almost yeah. like you before whole of Act One, and uh yeah, this we didn't point that out because we were in the kind of political stuff. But uh yeah, this movie is some of the best use of casting against the audience that like I've seen in a long yep. time. To make people say, oh, I know who that is. Oh, I know who that is. And like, oh, this is going to be, like, he's going to do it. This is a dude. And they even do shots that make you think early on. Like, certain people that you already associate with, like, action and stuff are going to be like, some monumental action hero, and then it just pulls the rug right out from under you in the best way. Yeah. So, yeah. Hunt's a lot of fun. Check that out. Uh, On to Matt D. You got to keep going and give us a quick, I would say spoiler free, in case people, I mean, Vin Diesel has a lot of fans, uh, breakdown of what Bloodshot is all about. I'm
2: very curious. I mean, do you want me to go into, like, who bloodshot even is and like what the whole idea is or what, what do you want me to do here
0: uh i mean we've seen the trailers we know it's Valiant. i mean and we've talked about it on the show before because you know we are comic book so we talk about value comics and all that and the basic premise i mean you i mean you don't have to get too heavy on that i we were just you're literally going to be like one of the first opinions we get to hear about <laughs> the movie so we just want to know what you think. Not a problem at all. Yeah,
2: so let me put it this way. Let me say I'm not opposed to a Vin Diesel action movie. Let me say that Triple XXX uh, Return of Xander Cage is probably one of my favorite action movies in the last few years or since it's come oh, out. I love that. Dude, so underrated. A hundred percent. And he does a very good job in that film because he's surrounded with all these colorful characters and it, it brings him out in a way. But in Bloodshot, he doesn't have that. In Bloodshot, this is just Vin Diesel being asked to play a physical role that doesn't really have much depth or emotion behind it, even knowing the story of bloodshot being a killer based on revenge. So for me, this bloodshot is pretty much just a very one dimensional sci-fi action movie. And I, it basically steals its building blocks from every film of this kind you've seen before it. Vin Diesel does quote unquote fine to me. A lot of people online I'm seeing are kind of, you know, saying this is peak Vin Diesel. And I'm laughing going like, no, like fine. Uh, Sorry, Uh, Fast and Furious is peak Vin Diesel. Xander Cage is peak Vin Diesel. This is just him kind of walking through a movie. And when I say walking, I mean that literally half the film is just him doing slow-mo shots, walking towards guns, firing at him. Because yeah, we get it. He can't really die. The nanotechnology in his blood is always going to rebuild him. And they rely so heavily on that to the point where the action is actually kind of a letdown. You get a lot of CGI stuff. When you bring in um, uh, Jimmy Dalton, who is one of his rivals, and he has these super ad- advanced legs because his uh, legs were blown off by an IED. And all of a sudden, whenever he enters super fast mode, it goes to this overtop helicopter camera and everyone on the ground becomes these little CGI blurs. And you're like, oh, no, we're, we're not. Oh, this is bad. <laughs> so it, it becomes extremely frustrating on that level. And then, again, going through the motions, the dialogue is written by people who have seen a ton of ac- action movies. The action itself doesn't really do anything to push the boundaries. And when it's all said and done, you're going, okay, you didn't even say the name Bloodshot once, so I don't even know what's going on here. It's just the most generic, run-of-the-mill version of this kind of story that is backed on a comic book character's name that we know,
0: yet you barely even establish that in the film itself.
1: Oof. <laughs> yeah.
2: So
0: I mean, don't. Hey, not worth unless you've got nanites. Not worth a risk to the trip to the theater right now. Huh? No,
2: I really don't think it is. I think this is one of those films you put on in the background when it hits syndication, and even then you go like, "All right, sure, that's fine." But what again? What the do I, I know? Be
0: one hell of an HBO night for people with two kids like myself. There you
2: go. That's exactly what I'm thinking of. Is because I will also say, talking to some friends afterwards, they did kind of dig it. They're like, "Yeah, this is." This is that generic Vin Diesel I love. And I'm like, yeah, but I don't get what you're saying. Because, like, again, the Vin Diesel I love is a crazy cartoon of a man who just barrels through walls. And, like, I
0: I don't know why bloodshy. No, Bloodshot he can is... Tarzan a car. Are you saying right, you though. don't Sorry, like that? Last my dad, respect my on his dad. name. <laughs> I mean. No, that's you, a fair question. You got to do you. Because I was stuck in that mine for The Last Witch Hunter. And I I will forever be scarred by that movie being <laughs> suckage. So like, is this better than Last Witch Hunter?
2: Uh, barely. Oh, yes, I, actually not barely. Oh. I, like, it's so middle of the road that it commits the sin of being forgettable. But again, it is incredibly middle of the road. Where yeah, Last Witch Hunter that wasn't great.
3: So I have a, a question, and I don't. I, I mean, I don't think this will Shoot be me. very spoilery. So you said they don't mention the name at all, and does it have any kind of connections to the other? characters in the valiant universe is there any mention of familiar things like i mean i imagine there's not anything ninjack or anything specific but it's like is there any kind of ties to that like did they set it up with a franchise in mind or is it pretty much just like it's bloodshot alone that's it Cut off from everything else.
2: So from the film itself, because I I know even Vin Diesel said like, this is the start of the Valiant universe or something like that. But looking at the film itself and just what I saw on screen, the film ends with us getting to where quote unquote bloodshot finally becomes a thing. Uh, Yeah. It runs the motions of setting up who basically it sets up what his powers can do. This is a very long 90 minute film that feels doubly as long. About learning the powers of Bloodshot without even calling him Bloodshot. So by the end of it, no, you you don't really get a sense that any other cameos are gonna happen. There is no post credits tease where another valiant character comes in. It's all contained in a very small world, and that very small world is basically just about tank tops and biceps and what Vin Diesel cannot die.
3: Oh, what a waste! Oh my God! Yeah.
2: Really did not work for me. I, yes, Valiant Comics. Really I wanted
3: was. this to launch an Exo Manowar <laughs> movie because I want, even though that's with a different You're studio dreaming. now. I
0: know it's with a different studio. Look, it failed on uh, the web. if on the web series. It fails, It's gonna fail here.
3: Uh, it hurts me. It hurts me inside because I like Valiant when they're on their game, but their movie stuff just yeah,
2: yeah. It just has no energy. Uh, and again, I know Vin Diesel doesn't have a lot of energy, but it, yeah, it just falls really, really flat for me.
0: That first trailer was great. <laughs> like I thought, at least uh, I thought like at least the memento stuff would be really great, and the guy Pierce would be like a nice little Easter meta Easter egg for it. Yeah, it well.
2: It's character development is to the point where Jimmy Dalton is defined by chewing gum very in revolting fashion. That's how you know he's the bad guy, just because of the way he chews gum and spits snot rockets. That's it. That's his definition as a bad guy. It's nah, just not really. Yeah, no. Bad
0: guys these days chew gum, don't right, Hey,
2: man, I get it. They, they don't, don't care about their chew teeth. gum. Loud with your mouth open, I, I, I get it. But man, um, Isaac Gonzalez though, as KT, kind of really wanted her. To, I wanted her to have more to do. That was kind of disappointing because you have one character that actually I was interested in, and is just shoved to the side as a not even as a romantic arc. It just an arc that had to be there to get bloodshot going forward, I guess, with his progress.
0: Oh, well, maybe in the next film.
2: Uh, Is there going to be a next film? Are people going to see this, this weekend?
0: Uh, Oh, well, Matt, give us some hope. Matt, a (laughs) what about my spy? Uh,
3: So I feel like, uh, one, I, I had to go to the theater. Like I went as part of my job. So what I will say is that like I wouldn't necessarily. My spy I really enjoyed, but I wouldn't necessarily. It's one of those things like if we're grading on like go to the theater to go see it. I would say no. I would say probably.
0: You're talking about risk your life, yeah, at right. The I would right say right no.
3: Now. Wait for streaming. How? But I don't want that to necessarily uh, diminish my enthusiasm for the movie because I actually really enjoyed it. It w- it was really fun, and it really comes down to one of the things that like. You know, Matt was talking about with Vin Diesel, right? Is that like it's we're we're accustomed to like the way he plays characters. And you could compare some of that, you can see those types of things in Batista's version, this gruff, uh no kind of no nonsense with a little flair, uh, you know, uh soldier essentially that is put into a a spiral and he's having a really hard time adjusting because he's used to just blowing stuff up and spy work is all about nuance and there's some actually really funny scenes early on of like showing the difference between like what a spy does and what a soldier does. And while he's really good at that, uh, he lacks in like the other department. So um, it's kind of, it's kind of cool how it right off the bat kind of puts this really confident uh, character into a situation that he is completely uncomfortable in and really unsuited for. And having someone like Kristen Shaw to play off of him the entire movie is, like, immense. Because she does such a good job of bringing out what he was talking about with Vin Diesel. Like, you need somebody to kind of draw that personality out and play that off of to get the most out of it. And he has that here. Kristen Shaw's is great throughout the whole movie. And, like, because she's a natural comedian, she gets the timing. And so she makes his little lines, they're delivered, and you're like, well, that could have been delivered a little better, or that could have been this and that. But like it works because again of the chemistry. And the same thing can be said uh of his like major co-star in the movie, which is Chloe Coleman. And like one of the things I know and I even uh kind of told him after the movie was like, I know I have an eight-week old child and I know that plays into the fact that I see this child like if my little girl's gonna be somebody like this and
0: like Always be on the edge. I mean, yeah, I was going to call you out on that. I was going to well, let you no, finish. But like I saw I saw her very much like feeling.
3: my daughter is going to like give me the middle finger at some point earlier in her life. And I am I know this because of just like the parents that are raising her. <laughs> I know like this child's going to have attitude and it's going to be like kind of that spirit. So like Chloe Coleman plays that character to a T. So, yeah, it's very much like a parent. Like if you're a parent, you're going to see that and it's going to be fun for you. I feel like parents and people who are looking for like a fun family movie, like this is really fun. It it lacks throughout the story sometimes. It's a little formulaic in like how it lays the plot out. You're going to see certain things coming. I do like that they try not in a crazy meta way, but like they do acknowledge some of those things, like just enough of a nod to the fans of like, yeah, we know this is not like the most original thing, but like it's a trope of the genre type of thing. So they, they weaken not just enough to make it like, Oh, I've seen that a million times, but it really is the chemistry between Batista and Coleman throughout the movie. Like they're great. And, and his, he has kind of this weird gruff charm that grows on you throughout the movie. Cause like the first, like the first sequence out of the action stuff, I was kind of like, I don't know how to feel about this. Like I was kind of stilted and I'm like, I don't know about his delivery. Like, it's, it's really low energy, but again, once the other co-stars get in, you really, that starts to pick up. So by the end of this, like I, I, my, the audience I was in, which I will say, yes, it was a screening, but it was not like, you know, we're not talking Disney screening here. So it's not like the whole thing is made up of press. It's a lot of just a regular audience. And then a few press people here and there, the audience reacted really well. It's got a lot of laughs throughout. I laughed a lot. It's it's just a fun movie, and the humor and the charm makes up for some of the parts that are that feel Stilton and kind of samey. So, I mean, I would definitely recommend seeing this again. I'm not going to say you need to rush out to the theater now to go see this. This is definitely like Kofi said, an HBO or you know whatever a streaming service later on type of thing. But I really think you're going to enjoy it. It's fun.
0: Okay we got to bring the show to a close because uh, it's hard to keep time on this one, but we're, we're running a little bit longer than usual, but we had a long coronavirus talk. we got to get these in while we still can. Uh, so while you guys may be stuck at home off of work and everything else, let's just talk about a couple things you could be watching. Uh, I have up here, you could be watching Stephen King's The Outsider. Uh, you know what? Let's talk about this more when we come back next week because we'll do like a whole streaming breakdown. We're running long right now. And uh, yeah, but I'll just give you the names so you can start watching them, but we'll talk about them next week. Stephen King's The Outsider, the uh, Netflix documentary, Don't F with Cats. Uh, that's a crazy one. Castlevania Season 3 is now out on Netflix. That's our buddy Adi Shankar, and that's excellent. And Amazon's Hunters, which I re- reviewed a show ago. It's still out there if you haven't watched that. Be sure to check that out also, and we'll talk more when we get back for uh, next week's show. That'll do it for this episode of Comic Book Nation. We want to thank you guys for tuning in, and we hope you guys are all doing okay and preparing for the very real situation of this virus pandemic. Uh, Take it easy out there. uh, Find some great ways to escape, have fun, keep your sanity, and uh, join us here. We'll be putting up new episodes every Wednesday and every Friday from our new social distance format. On ComicBook.com, or you can subscribe to our RSS feed, or you can subscribe on your favorite podcast platforms. We're on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Google Playlists. Or you can watch video of past episodes on YouTube on the ComicBook.com YouTube page. We don't know when we'll be back together again to shoot more video, so uh, please bear with us. We're going to just purely podcast format during this whole kind of uh, quarantine situation. If you like the show... Be sure to give us a five-star review on iTunes. We just read some reviews, but we're going to have another review roundup coming up sooner than you think, probably because we got to fill some content when all these movies and TV shows shut down. Also, if you want to talk to us, you can always find us at the hashtag ComicBookNation. You can find me on Twitter at KofiOutlaw. You can find
1: me at Matt Aguilar, CB At Connor Casey, underscore CB. And uh, Donato, where can we find you? At Donato bomb?
0: All right, thank you guys for tuning in again. This has been Comic Book Nation. Stay safe out there. We're out. Peace.